0: And welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. And of course, right now, me and my extraordinary guests are separated. Uh, We're meeting remotely in lockdown through uh, my laptop. So whilst we might not be able to meet in the studio, that doesn't mean that we can't sit down together and get to know all about them and hear their inspiring story. The name of my guest today is one that would have had thousands of girls and boys of all ages screaming with hysteria. And that name is Matt Willis. Best known as one third of Busted, Matt was thrown into the spotlight at the tender age of 17. Two Brit Awards, two studio albums, and a difficult split later. After the band, he went on to become the star of a stage and screen, as well as becoming King of the Jungle along the way too. It didn't all come easy for Matt, though, as he's battled a number of addictions and been in stints in rehab in the 2000s, but he's come out the other side and is a member of the band Busted once again. He's also just launched his very own podcast called When No One's Watching. So welcome to my podcast, Matt Willis. Hi,
1: hi. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. That was so nice. I sat back there going, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, I'm really good. (laughs) I
0: wondered, is it funny? Like, do you sort of think, oh yeah, I've done all that. Yeah,
1: it's kind of strange. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I forget that that happened when I was seventeen. Like when you said that, I was like, oh yeah, I was I was seventeen when that all kicked off. That's um I recently had my thirty seventh birthday, so I was I was um I was really realizing that I've kind of been in a band with James Bourne since for like twenty one years. You know, which was just mm, a bit of a well yeah, telling. it was a bit of a strange thought that was, you know. But um, but yeah, it's been a while. I
0: was thinking. Y- You've been famous your whole adult life. You don't know not being famous as an adult.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't know if I'd really call myself famous anymore. Like it's kind of a, um, it's a very, it's a very, I don't know. That's a weird, a weird term, isn't it? It's like, um, it's like when I, uh, like when Busted was, um, was even at its peak, I'd say, um, I was only famous to a certain category of person. Like, unless you're a Busted fan, like. Like right. friends of my mum wouldn't know who I was, you know, but if you were a mm. um, a teenager, you know, you'd know who I was, you know. So I just knew not to go to shopping malls on a Saturday or don't ever go to a bowling mm. alley, you know, a certain places yeah. that you just can't <laughs> really go to, you know. But um, but most of the time I could kind of get away with kind of, you know, and, and things like concerts and things were a struggle and certain other things like that. But apart from that, I could kind of hang out with my mates and kind of live a sort of... Normalish life at times you know only really only mm-hmm. really um did i really notice what kind of um crazy fame was i suppose when i did the jungle because then like suddenly going from a targeted audience you know don't get me wrong when busted mm-hmm. were on tour you know like everywhere we went was pretty chaotic but then coming out of the yeah. jungle like you you kind of get into a cab and everyone is like hello matt you're like, oh, God, yeah. Or you go into the post office and the yeah. guy behind the counter knows who you are and knows something about you, which was a very strange um, strange change of pace.
0: Was it hard? Because like you said, although you did have that fame, you still had some anonymity. I can never say the word. Anonymity? Is that how you say it? Anonymity. Uh, oh, my God.
1: An- anonymity. That's yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So you did, you did have that. And like you said, going in the jungle, it's all backgrounds and ages that watch that. Um, was it a bit intrusive when you came out? Um,
1: yeah, it was a very, it was, um, I don't know, it was a, that that I kind of look back at that as a very weird moment in my life because, um, it was kind of a time in my life where I didn't really know what I was doing, you know, like, um, like before then I kind of always kind of like, i had been in a band since I was, before then I was, I was at school and I wanted to be an actor. Then, then, um, then I wrote some songs with my friend and then I was in a band and that was all I did, you know, and that was all I ever wanted to do at that time. And then that ended and I'm a Celebrity kind of happened in this kind of period where I was like, I don't really know who I am, what I'm doing. I'm 21 and everything... Still so young. Still kind of young. Yeah, yeah, not really having any kind of, mm. like, i would never really had a life plan or kind of, like, everything I... It's kind of a weird thing to say, but everything I'd ever thought about wanting to achieve, I'd achieved. You know, so I kind of felt like I was kind of at this mm. place where, like, I don't really know what to do now, you know, and, like, um, which was a really a really strange kind of mm-hmm. vulnerable place to be. And then um, and then having that kind of, you know, being famous on, on at the same time in a huge way was kind of very strange.
0: I did wonder, because actually putting yourself on a show like that, there is a lot of vulnerability because you're in the hands of those that edit you mm-hmm. and how they choose to produce you. Um, there isn't any respite. You know, the setup of the show is you're on display all the time with any other coping mechanisms and luxuries that might help you be you i mean was a part of you nervous about that
1: um yeah like if i'm honest i'd never really um like i'm quite a weird person you know i'm sure we all think that about ourselves in some strange way but i'm i'm quite aware that i'm quite strange you know and um and i do weird things like i talk to myself and yeah. i'm constantly you know mumbling to myself or playing you know, guitars in with my mouth and blah, 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 you know, all these kind of weird things that I do. So I was like, Oh my God, I was going to think I'm a freak, <laughs> you know, but, um, um, so I was kind of, kind of trying not to be a weirdo for most of the time, if I'm honest, but, um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, just, uh, I, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. If I'm honest, when I think back to it, I'd never really, I never watched a series of the show. Like I watched a couple of episodes here and there and kind of saw people eat bugs and things. And like, Oh, this looks a bit crazy, mm. but, um, but um my record company basically said that they kind of weren't really going to release my solo album unless I did some something big promo wise because it just wasn't really connecting right. and um mm-hmm. and I'm a celebrity asked me to go on and I was like bingo brilliant yes please I'll do that you know platform, platform to promote yeah. the album you know and then you um you kind of come out and and no one really cares about your album they just want you to talk about eating Bugs which is you know which is which is fine you know yeah. yeah well, not really the reason you can.
0: Demoralising when you're talented as well because Well,
1: you know, it's kind of um it kind of just yeah. shows that those things don't necessarily correlate, you know. It's it's a, it's a weird thing. You know, the thing the thing is I don't regret it. That's the thing. I loved it. Like when I look back on the jungle, I had the most like the most incredible, in amazing experience that no one gets to have, you know, like kind of and I really I I loved it. I loved every day there. Well, after the first three or four days when it's a bit strange, suddenly I was just like I'd never been camping in my life. You know, I'd never slept outside. I'd never done anything like that. You know, so it was a real kind of um a really amazing experience. And I had some, you know, really bizarre, strange people in there with me who I loved. You know, so it was a great little vibe. Uh, yeah. I loved it. You
0: had a good year, people-wise, didn't you? In terms of the other contestants.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, I found some really, you know, like David Guest was um, was a little gem. You know, he was a really beautiful mm. man, and it was um, and kind of finding him on that show, you know, for the next couple of years, we were kind of inseparable. We kind of left that show, and we kind of we hung around, you know, like like best mates for a few years. It was um, it was mm. a beautiful guy.
0: Yeah, so sad, isn't it, that he? Yeah, he it's sad. Away? Yeah, it really, yeah. is sad. Yeah. I wondered, um, going on something like that and sort of being essentially your authentic self and then that working out for you, you know, you won, people got behind you, they liked you. Like this is an industry where you can't always be your, your authentic self. Mm. And it's also an industry full of rejections that aren't really based on fact. You know, people reject people for lots of different reasons and it can sometimes affect your self-worth and I just wondered what the experience was like of opening up being authentic and people being like yeah I like that and you're gonna win you know was it quite reassuring?
1: When I think back on it now I think uh, I think about it in that way at the time Mm -hmm. it just felt like this crazy whirlwind of stuff that was happening and I wasn't really in a very good headspace you know like I was kind of in a In quite a self-destructive point in my life, and um, it kind of, um, it kind of, it's it's one of those things. It kind of. Why
0: do you think that was? um, I think
1: uh, you know, I kind of always had a problem with drink and drugs and that kind of world, and um, and it was really kind of starting to take a grip of me at that moment in my life, and um, and kind of when I came out of the show, it really um, I was off and running you know and it was kind mm-hmm. of um and that was a that was a moment where it was kind of getting to a point where it was time to address that demon you know and it was kind of so so to be honest i came out of the show and just lost the plot for about a year you know so i didn't really um well I, I, why because of too much opportunity you or... um no i think i was just ready to to do that at that point in my life you know it was kind of it was kind of coming for a while and i kind of um and i wasn't really ready to address certain Demons at that point, and kind of put certain things down. Um, I was just kind of in it, and I was very, um, you know, and and I had a very low self worth. You know, I kind of um I kind of felt like um I'd always kind of struggled with that, and so I couldn't really. Why
0: Why do you think you had a low self worth? Um...
1: You know, I I have no idea. I've kind of addressed that or looked at that quite a lot in my life. That kind of feeling of kind of low kind of self-loathing and kind of that kind of stuff which kind of kind of fuels alcoholism in me and certain other things and um i i kind of had to kind of um at certain moments in recovery just go Do you know what you might have to just understand that you're not going to really know the answers you know you just have to mm-hmm. understand that that is that is um that this demon is part of you, and this person is within you, and you just have to kind of manage that in a certain way, you know, mm. and so i have to do i have to implement certain things in my life and kind of do things a certain way to be able to to be able to navigate that
0: because mm. society's always sort of obsessed with the exterior and you know wrongly not sympathetic with people that they believe on the exterior has everything so whether it's being good looking whether it's being wealthy, whether it's you know having a career, other people envy and People can't understand why internally your thoughts wouldn't reflect the, the level of joy that it's it seems. But but often it's people in that position that are more tortured. Um, did you attach a guilt to it to, to not feeling good? Because you yeah. know you had these ambitions from a young age to be this person.
1: Yeah, you're so you're so right. Like I think it um, I think it comes with a lot of imposter syndrome as well. Like it kind of comes from that place of kind of like at any moment you're going to get found out and everyone's going to know that you're not really meant to be what you are. And, you know, like, mm. who are you kidding? You don't deserve this. And all this kind of stuff, which kind of, yeah. um, yes, yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's funny. I've talked to a lot of people, especially actors who, um, who have this too, you know, right. like, um, these people who are like, I'm like, well, what are you talking about? You're this guy who's amazing, you mm-hmm. know, but they mm. still have this in them and it's kind of, um, mm-hmm. and so it's, um, You know, it kind of it kind of goes goes everywhere. I think. Mm.
0: Do you believe in you know when people refer to having an addictive personality? Do you think that's a thing?
1: Um, I don't know. I know I have it. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't know. um, I mean, yes, it is a thing because um, well, I don't, I don't. Is it a thing? I don't know. I'm an addict. I know I am. I tick every box. If there's um, Mm -hmm. if there's something you can take too far. I have either already taken it too far or I'm in the process of doing so. You know, so mm. kind of like if there's um, Yeah you know, I um, I I find that I kind of put one down and pick one up, you know, and um mm. that's something which I'm I'm really trying to be better at and kind of noticing these kind of warning signs because, you know, it's and to be honest, it's not even about like I don't drink or take drugs anymore, you know. But like, so you, um, you can't socially drink that your teetotal. Oh no, I've been um, having a drink for over ten years. But like, on on, but that doesn't mean that I haven't had this impact my life in other ways. Mm. You know, like it can um it can come into play with anything I do, and it's just mm-hmm. for me now. It's more about behavior. It's more about mm. the way I behave and the way I see myself behaving about certain things. Mm. I'm like that's. Got to watch that. Mm. Got to be careful of that. Because before I know it, that can slip into the way I think about myself and it can be a negative kind of spiral because of an action which was not beneficial.
0: Mm. Because I guess if your reward system is built on whatever it is, if you get high, if you drink, if you gamble, the reward system is still kind of messed up. So you might be doing other things to get that rush to to release the cortisol you know it doesn't just because you're teetotal doesn't mean you're not destructive with other things you know
1: yeah totally you know and there's lots of ways of looking at that you know like I mean a lot of things that I'm involved in a lot of kind of like self-help kind of groups that I'm I'm part of kind of um you know there's um it's just this is the way it is and that's the way it is whereas I'm kind Mm. of quite open in that mind I'm like well actually like what is that what what is it what what is it about me that that searches out these things? What it is about me that I can't get enough of certain things? And why do I yeah. behave differently when something enters my body than somebody else that enters their body? What is them? Yeah. What does my thinking change? You know, so it's quite, I find it all quite yeah. fascinating.
0: So I always think about myself. I do things to excess, which is destructive and detrimental sometimes. Mm. But in other ways, it's really helped me in my career. Yeah. Um. So it's, it's weird, you know. So like. I had a problem with alcohol in that um, after everything happened to me and I sort of went on to rebuild my life on the exterior, I was rebuilding my life, but you know, I was living on my own. I was, I was quite lonely. um, And I had, I think it was the trauma, the PTSD. I didn't Mm -hmm. talk to people. I didn't deal with things. And I would go home in the evenings and just kind of drink to blackout and not remember things and miss jobs the next day and then have to lie about it. And it was all becoming really messy and mm. people close to me, I actually was able to hide it quite well, but eventually people close to me started to realise, people I worked with. And I went to um, a rehab that was a, it was a rehab, I was living in Chiswick and the rehab was in Kensington and you'd just go and check in the day and just check in right. you didn't stay there. And it really helped me. But in other ways, I would do all the, other things to access with professionally and would get so much success from it because I was so obsessive about work and so dedicated and so committed. So it hasn't, having that in me hasn't always been a negative thing. Yeah.
1: That's the thing. I mean, um, like when I, when I think about it, I wouldn't change a thing, you know, like when I, like, I mean, I mean, and I've done some pretty, pretty dark shit you know, like, um, and some, like, Mm -hmm. um, some things which I'm not proud of and I'm, and I'm ashamed of. And I, and I've, you know, I've luckily been able to address them and apologize in the right way and kind of make amends to certain people and kind of, which is actually a beautiful experience as well, you know, and kind of, um, and so when I look back Mm -hmm. at these things, when I look back at who I am, you know, I'm like, would I, would I take this away? Would I, would I, would my life be better without it? You know, and, um, and I don't know. I don't know if I'd be who I am. You know, like, I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, I worry that, um, you know, I kind of I, I worry that I'm passing things on subconsciously to my children. I'm like, oh, my right. God, you know, because I, you know, I grew up around Did certain you? things and I saw certain things and I absorbed certain things from people around me. I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm a very different person to the person I was 10 years ago. So I'm hoping that I'm passing on a different message but it's still in me you know so I'm like is this mm. you know what's going on here you know so I'm constantly reading books and trying to <laughs> say the right thing that's good yeah
0: yeah you're yeah well you said earlier that you know for as long as you can remember you battled with some kind of addiction mm. so it sounds fairly young what was your childhood like
1: um I mean I kind of um I kind of always remember like um I always remember feeling uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm honest, that's kind of like my overwhelming thought. Like, I always felt like a bit of a dick, right. you know, like, and I always felt like that was kind of like, like, I always felt uncomfortable, I always felt like I shouldn't say something. All oh, the, you know, I'd stand there waiting, the conversation would be happening. I'd be like, maybe say something, you know, and then the conversation would move on. I wouldn't say anything. So I was kind of quite shy and quite introverted and quite weird. Mm. you know and um and um and socially awkward, you know, and kind of um, but it all came from that this kind of feeling of kind of like of not really being worthy in some way and kind of having a low self-worth and then um and then uh and then I found booze, you know, and like suddenly I had right. this kind of um this thing that kind of made me go, oh my God. Like, I can talk to girls, you know, I can... Confidence I can, in a bottle, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, completely. It's liquid confidence, which made me, you know, suddenly transform and suddenly I could do anything I wanted to be. I could get up on stage and perform in front of people and not feel like I'm going to mm-hmm. die of nerves, you know. Like, it was like, um it was really... um a transformative thing for me, you know, and it kind of, um, mm-hmm. and I honestly think without it, I don't know what I'd be doing now because I, I was so scared and nervous and strange, you know, like about everything that really, you know, having that transformed my ability to do certain things, you know, to be able to put myself in situations which I wouldn't have been able to put myself in without it, mm. you know. So once again, I don't necessarily regret that. I kind of, um, it helped me until it didn't.
0: Yeah yeah it's interesting because to hear that you were an unconfident child but you know when I when I researched you and was looking up up about your past you know you trained at a very prestigious school at Sylvia Young you know you're Mm. a trained actor you're a performer and you naturally think of a really kind of gregarious bold child that would hold the court and you know it doesn't match up almost does it
1: yeah no I think that was the thing like um I think um uh, I mean, I think back, I think about that all the time. I'm like, man, for someone who's so, like, who felt so, like, scared and shy and nervous. I pick the worst things to be into you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like uh, going on stage in front of people and putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, oh my yeah. god, you know but like but now within within like um like um I mean obviously not right now because we're in lockdown, but just before lockdown I'm in the last um I went back to drama school last year, right, and it's been um and it's just such an amazing experience to kind of because mm-hmm. I hadn't trained since I left school in like two thousand or something. So it's been like 20 years since I trained, since I did the acting training. And I was like, I was doing a lot of acting work and I was like, I think I need to go back to school for a bit. I think I need to do some training. So I went back and, and it's fun. It's so funny looking at things now with, um, at 37 Mm -hmm. kind of going, right, how do I feel about myself now? How do I put myself in this situation? How do I be vulnerable with other Mm -hmm. people? How do I, you know, and, um, and coming from it, from a place of, you know, from a place of love, you know, from a place of kind of like actually being okay with myself. No ego. It's a very, yeah, no mm. ego and actually being able to kind of open up and kind of go, right. Okay. Who is this guy? What does he think? You know, like he's a very different, is um, a very different animal. It's, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. In but maybe
0: that's one of the healthy things about lockdown is it doesn't really matter so much about status and who people are and what they've got. It's not very valuable at the moment. And it, people are kind of seeing each other for just our personalities, really. You know, a lot yeah. of things are becoming irrelevant. And the vulnerability you're talking about, about putting yourself out to be judged or assessed or rejected, it almost doesn't matter what people think of us, really.
1: No, at the no, moment. you're so, you're you know, so right. It, like um, like I saw someone post the other day like, um, about um, w- hoping for it to be normal again. But what part of normal do you want? Mm. You know, and I was like, oh, that's so true. Like, um mm-hmm. you know, like I was like, I want certain things but I wanna take things away from this experience which you know like, like for 'cause for so long me and my wife um can get so caught up in work, you know, and so caught up in life that we forget sometimes how much of a beautiful experience just raising children is and kind of just being yeah. you know, and kind of being there for your kids and kind of you know, don't get me wrong, but we spend as much time as well with our kids as we possibly can, but this we we both say at different points, oh, I just need a bit of time, you know, like all that kind of stuff, you yeah. know. <clears throat> and then, by the grace of God, here it is, you know, like and um mm-hmm. and you know and and then and then you go, oh, can't wait for them to be back at school, you know. <laughs> but- <laughs> <laughs> is it
0: dangerous? I'll send them back. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be all right. Are It'll you homeschooling fine. now? Then are you doing yes. the duties? Yeah, yeah man. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Well, we we take it in turns. Whichever one of us isn't doing something is um is homeschooling. That is, I'm a terrible teacher. Terrible. Are you not strict? Oh no, no, I'm not strict. Well, I'm either quite stroppy at my <laughs> inability to do eleven year old maths. Or
0: it's hard. Isn't it's it? so
1: hard, man. My my daughter's um to me eleven, so she's in year six. And like it's so I'm just like, man, I should have paid attention in school. I'm useless. I'm so sorry. But um so I'm either really, you know, I'm rather stroppy or or just, like, oh forget it. Just do whatever. You know, we'll send it back as it is. The fertility doctor Jan Karbat was renowned for getting amazing results. Women who were desperate for children would visit him at his Rotterdam clinic. Many would leave pregnant, but when the clinic closed, rumours
0: circulated about the methods the doctor used to achieve his success. My name's Jenny Kleeman, and I've been investigating what happened in Karbat's clinic. It's
1: the story of a doctor who was determined to create life by any means possible. The Immaculate Deception, a brand new podcast from something else. Coming on March 18th, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: But you're right there, there is some positives because it doesn't matter what you do for a living. We're all guilty of, you know, work becoming our priority for whatever reason and Mm. actually missing out. You know, and it is about that discipline to be in the present moment. And I wondered, looking back over your life, you know, you were on top of the pops, age 17. You know, you were doing these kind of amazing things. Were you living in the present moment when you had all those experiences?
1: No, no, not at all. Do you know what? That's what was so beautiful about Busted coming back was, you know, like we shouldn't have been given that opportunity. We had our time. We had like... This amazing experience when we were nineteen, you know, like um, finishing when I was twenty-one, and that was kind of it, you know, and like, um, but weird, I didn't, it. in, I didn't really embrace any of it. I was constantly chasing the after party, constantly chasing mm. what was happening next, what I was onto, who was I, you know, going out with, what was, what was, what was going on, you know, I was constantly thinking about that. Where was I getting my next fix from? All these kind of things was constantly on my mind, you know, and um. And I didn't really enjoy anything. Like, I remember, um, like, I see pictures of myself at the Brit Awards and and I don't remember that night. You know, I don't remember mm, anything yeah. about it. And, like, um, mm-hmm. and like my my two bandmates can recall every second of it and they talk to me about mm-hmm. it since I'm like, mate, I don't remember. Like, there's probably four to seven years of my life that I just don't really remember, which is... You know quite sad really but then so having these having the having the three of us back together and touring again over the last four years has been such an incredible experience because I've really kind of I've really absorbed every moment of it. You know, I've really taken mm. as much of it in as I possibly can, and really embraced ev- like every gig. My number one job is to kind of connect with as many people as I can, and kind of and have this experience. Be alive. Yeah, exactly, and really absorb yeah. this experience. That's such a good thing. Be alive. That's so right. You know, and um, and I really um, and I really feel that now in the in the shows. Like um, like there's nothing I'd rather be doing than playing a busted gig. You know, like when, I, when I'm up mm. on stage, there's nothing I'm thinking about. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. There's nothing else that's on my mind. It's just playing mm-hmm. my instrument for these people that have come to see my band. And I can't quite believe they give a shit enough to pay money to come and see us. You know, it's just... um, It's,
0: it's almost like a state of meditation. If, if you're concentrating on just one thing like that, you're really giving yourself and connecting. You know, it is a meditative thing almost, do you
1: think? Yeah, in some ways I think it is. I think that's um, like... Like for instance, like I I I I start rehearsal about six weeks before my bandmates because I'm, kino. <laughs> I'm a bit of a kino, and I'm a bit shit. So so I have to put in. <laughs> no. a, I, I do. I have to put in a little bit more work than everyone else because like Charlie and James are so fucking talented. They're just naturally quite gifted. Whereas I'm 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 I, I just have to work hard at things. You know, like to get where I need to be. But um, but it's um. But do you
0: think you're too hard on yourself? Uh, no, no
1: no I no don't, I don't not when it comes to music I kind of um it just doesn't really come naturally to me like the bass guitar was never my first choice like it was kind of like me and James played guitar and then Charlie came along who was mm. better at guitar than both of us So one of us had to play bass it was kind of forced upon me so I never really fell mm. in love with that instrument really till a couple of years ago and um mm. and then it kind of then it was like um but then once I did once it did click with me now all I want to do is play that thing you know Mm -hmm. so um, and I want to do the best job I possibly can but like but getting back to the meditative state I need to know that I don't have to think about it like so when I'm on stage I don't want to have to think about what I'm playing because I want it to be I want to be able to take in what I'm doing you know so I need to be so rehearsed so like Mm-hmm. I have everything so licked, nothing's kind of like going to mess with that, so that I can be free to experience what I'm experiencing.
0: Yeah, it's so great though to, for your audience for you to submerse yourself like that, and like you said, not be going through the motions, like actually genuinely connecting and, and yeah. loving every minute and being passionate. You know,
1: yeah. But there's moments like like I look out and like um like I can I can um get eye contact with someone right, and uh, and I can feel that ripple. You know, like right. I feel like I hit that person in the eyes and there's like a few mm. people around them and that ripples around them. And then I kind of feel mm. this energy from them. It's just the most incredible experience.
0: Because without being sober, you couldn't connect like that.
1: No, no, no. I was always kind of like, um, you know, like I had fun on stage. Like if I was wasted, I had a really good time. But like um, yeah. like I was always kind of like checking how many songs we had left.
0: You mm-hmm. know, like kind mm-hmm. of
1: thinking, oh, I've got four more you know, till or, party. yeah, till, till, till it kind of cracks on again, you know, like, um, you know, whereas now there's nothing like I could play for four hours. I wouldn't because it'd be boring for everyone else. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't
1: know. About- <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. An hour and a half is, is our limit, I think. <laughs>
0: yeah. I was interested, actually, you talked about, you know, how it sort of was formed. What was the
1: actual first in-
0: initial audition like for Busted, that very first audition? How did it
1: play out? Well, actually, what me and James auditioned for another band, Mm-hmm. So me and James, me and James were—I was at Sylvia Young and James was at the same acting agency as me. Mm-hmm. So me and James had seen each other at multiple different auditions for Chessington World of Adventures adverts, or you know, or some kind yeah. of McCain's Oven Fryers advert, you know, or something, you know. And like we, um, so we knew each other, and I knew he was on the agency because, like, it was like you know, fifteen-year-old boy. You know, we both be up for the same parts, and then, um, and then we both auditioned for a. a pop band and we didn't get in and um Mm -hmm. so we were just like should we just you know should we just hang out and do our own thing and like um and that's when i started going to james's house and writing songs with him and then um right and then we um we the pop band who we didn't get in the manager started managing us you know so we um so we got we got him to be involved we sent him some songs and everything and he was kind of managing us and then um and then we kind of we kind of strummed along for about two years, kind of not really getting the interest we wanted and um and we had like a bunch of songs mm. we had like most of the first album recorded and then we um we held auditions in London in walks in charlie Simpson, um who's this like six foot four handsome surfer looking rock star. We were like, "Who's this guy?" <laughs> you know, and we got him in the band he joined, and within two weeks had a you know um big record deal you know it was like oh we were just missing were quite a really organic really yeah yeah totally it felt it felt really natural you know like we yeah. were just missing that one thing like it was just like you know and Charlie walked in and completed that you know and also he brought with him a whole different you know energy and a whole different um uh mm. style of music which we were not you know he was a real metal guy like a real kind of heavy metal guy and we we hadn't really been experiencing that music so we were kind of absorbing mm-hmm. things from him as well and kind of it was a real um really amazing experience
0: mm. and we're the same age I, I'm i'm gonna be 37 this year and so obviously i grew up remembering busted and just how massive you guys were and you know even though I'm older now, you know, I I still go on social media and I've got kids that want to use social media. And I always look back on those years and think, oh, wasn't it great where you just watch Top of the Pops once a week, then you switch it off, you buy big and fast forward, and that would kind of be it. Whereas now it's twenty four seven Twitter, Instagram, so much pressure, so much feedback and not always welcomed critique as well. How do you think it would have been if social media had been around when you were at your height of fame and busted?
1: I mean, I would have ruined everything. I'm so glad that (laughs) that that wasn't available for me. (laughs) having (laughs) having anybody at the at the tap of a finger for me would have been a terrible, terrible idea. And I got in trouble all the time from interviews. Yeah, you know, back in the day, like we had to, like about a year in, they had to send me to media training.
0: Oh, how did that go? um,
1: Well, I was a disaster. I kept saying really outrageous things in interviews. And, um, and they were like, you're in the pop industry. You can't be saying this stuff, you know? So I was like, yeah. oh God, sorry. You know, I was just what joking. What sort of stuff
0: would you say then?
1: Um, well, you know, it depends how drunk I was, you know, but, um, mm. But, you know, I just say things or, or what I like about certain pop stars is I, I, I look at people and I like people that give their opinion. Mm. Whereas in the in pop music in those days, you weren't really allowed to have an opinion. No. It wasn't really your job to have that. You were supposed to be you know, smile and. Especially with you know, children whereas, following
0: you and yeah. You yeah, be yeah. Whereas
1: Busted necessarily didn't do that. We kind of just said what we wanted to. And like, um, and our management were cool with that. They were like, you know, you are you guys and it comes from you. So you can kind of do what you want. But mm. I think at times the record company were a bit like, boys, you need mm. to toe the line a bit, you know.
0: <laughs> I wondered, you know, on the subject of authenticity, I didn't know how much you'll want to talk about this, but when you, you did split. You know, it was a big thing in this country and beyond. You know, lots of young people were heartbroken and upset. And in the press conference, it didn't necessarily seem like it was your decision. Is, is that is that fair to say that? Is that right?
1: Um, I mean, the decision was taken out of our hands because Charlie left.
0: Mm.
1: You know, like, um, but like, if I'm honest, I was sad because I didn't, like, um, because I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can see it in my face. I much, t- I was quite upset about that whole period. But, um, but I also loved Charlie. Like, mm-hmm. I did love him, and um, and I saw how, you know, how really, really unhappy he was. You know, and like, it wasn't like um, he was being a stroppy teenager. Like, he was genuinely like seriously depressed in the band and kind of like it was like um and it had become something that he felt like he had no um control over or was not necessarily being listened to mm. i mean he was um you know from everything that he didn't like he'd become you know like he'd become a pop star you know and he was a uh, you know and, and at the time, music was quite tribal, you know, like it was kind of you were either this or you were that and never the two shall meet. Now we're kind of a playlist generation where you can kind of be into, you know,
0: yeah.
1: um, Drake and Post Malone and listen to dance music and listen to grime or whatever you want to listen to and kind of be into everything. At the time, you were either metal, emo, you know, and never did you like pop, you know, whereas he was yeah. a pop star who was into all yeah, this stuff. Yeah, so rigid. It was so rigid and um, yeah. and it really affected him, you know, and um. And I think it really made him really sad, you know. And um, and I could see that, and I could see how upset and how torn he was, you know. So the, I, I was um, and it was quite miserable towards the end of Busted. Like it wasn't mm. a fun place to be. The last six months of Busted was not a fun experience. It was um, it was quite awkward and quite sad and quite kind of mm. everyone's a bit stroppy. And I, was, um, so um, it was taken out of my my hands, but I wasn't necessarily trying with all my might to hold on to it either
0: i wondered that because i obviously mm. your insight now you know is coming from a place of wisdom and, and age but then 21 years old you know you trained all your life for this and you were living a 21 year old dream and somebody took it away did you feel angry at him at the time
1: yeah yeah i did feel angry at him and i felt angry at him afterwards as well because i I kind of um, we've since talked about this a lot, you know. Like, I mean, we've had a lot of time over the last four years to kind of air any kind of um, air any anything that we had to talk about, you know. And that's and that's what I love about Busted now is we um, we are very good at talking about things. Mm, it's you know, good we're for very adult. As well. That's it's very really good. good for blokes. We really open yeah. up. We really talk about, hey man, by the way, this is bothering me. You know, and we're kind of mm-hmm. very good at that now. Maybe maybe that's just me, <laughs> but um, but um, we're kind of uh, we we kind of have these discussions because we've learned that without them you know things can fester and one thing can lead to another which can lead to another and build a resentment and then suddenly you've got trouble on your hands you know so um mm. uh yeah i mean i, I you know at different points in my life i was angry and cross about about things and and at different people and but um but you know i don't i, I don't feel that way now
0: mm. yeah because you've had time to process it and yeah yeah. So when it, when it did sort of end, because it doesn't, I mean, it ends as in busted ended, but it doesn't end for you because you're now this known person. You're now in the public eye, you know, you can't take that back. What was your plan? What did you, what, what did you do as your next steps?
1: Um, that's the thing. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything kind of planned. Like, um, like my man, I remember my manager kind of going, so the record company want to sign you for a solo album? I was like, okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, cool. Great. So I can do something. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, you'd you know, be like, sweet, but,
0: great. That's what you think you'd want.
1: Yeah, great, brilliant. Okay, I'll do that. What is that? What do I, What like, who am I? I don't know anything mm. about me or what I want to do or what music I want to put out or who I, you know. I also never wanted to be a solo artist ever in my life. I never, like, when you dream of being... You know, like people dream of being a pop star or something. I was quite happy being the bass player in busted. I didn't I fi- I didn't I f- I didn't want that spotlight. I didn't kind of feel like I you know, I wasn't dying to be Robbie Williams or anything. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't really part of me. I was just kinda of quite mm-hmm. um quite content doing my job. But then you know, so to to do that solo album was a very strange experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wasn't in the right headspace to make it. I just wasn't in a very you know, I wasn't in the right um In the right place in my life, you know, I ended up making a record which I loved, right? You know, but it was, um, it was very un, um, uncommercial and unusable.
0: It's nice to hear about the highs as as well as the lows, you know, and 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 hear about what kind of gets you kind of your juices flowing and your creativity. I mean, you 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 talked about rehab at the start of the interview. But that actually wasn't until after the jungle, right? This wasn't at that point in your life
1: that you... Um, do you know, I, don't, I don't know. I've been a, quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an impatient
0: think... staying a residential?
1: Yeah, trip. yeah. I've done a few different things. i kind of done an impatient thing a few times. Um, I kind of went... Um, I went once when I was kind of... Um, when I didn't necessarily want to go... And then once when I thought it was probably best that I go and once when I really, really needed to go.
0: Life-saving? And
1: um, Yeah, definitely life-saving mm. the last time, kind of transformed my life.
0: And what about those mm. around you? Because, you know, you you have a family, you're married, you have your extended family. You know, often it's difficult for the people around you to continue to support you if you continue to relapse and when you have children also to kind of shield them from it as well, which might be harder the older they get, you know, how did those around you cope? And, and also what impact did it have on you?
1: Um, I mean, the, uh, I mean, the last time I did, I didn't have kids when I, the last time I went to rehab. So Mm. that was, um, I'm very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. But then, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to talk about because it's, um, like I've kind of, i uh, like, it feels like a different person that did that stuff, mm. you know, kind of like um, and and, and behaved those ways, you know, like um, and at the end of it, it's um, when I th- when I think about it, that it's more about the damage that you do to yourself, you know, over and over again. You know, that is the, that is the troubling thing, you know, whereas when you, um, when you think about, when you think about actually what you were doing to other people, like I've seen it a few pe- few times now with people that I talk to within that world and kind of people that are going through certain periods of their life when they're dealing with an alcoholic or an addict and what they're going through, you know, I suddenly, it constantly reminds me of what people that I had to deal with, with me. You know, like I see it now in a very different, I see it from a different perspective. I see it from the outsider looking in and I see the damage that it's having on other people and the worry and the, you know, and the, you know, and the trauma that it's causing other people, you know, whereas at the time you're so self absorbed with yourself that you kind of, um, You feel guilt and remorse about everything that you're doing for other people, but you're so self-absorbed that you can't really take that on.
0: Mm, So true. Yeah, you're right. I wondered, um, you know, how you are. I didn't want to ask you the cliche questions of how's your lockdown? What's your coping mechanisms? But, Mm. you know, in general, anyone that's had any kind of problems in the past, which is basically all of us, I did wonder, you know, is it challenging for you in lockdown? Because a lot of our coping mechanisms and things that we might normally rely on have been taken away at mm. the moment. Are you are you finding it a struggle?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mm. am. If I'm honest, I am. I'm finding it quite difficult at points. You know, it's um it's you know, it comes in waves, isn't it? Some days I'm great. Mm. You know, but like um I found myself getting a little bit arsey. Yeah. A little bit ratty. Yeah. You know, which is um which is something which is new. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, who's that guy again? Yeah. You know, like, but um, you know, I'm trying really hard to kind of um to kind of Reign that in a bit, you know, like it's, it's funny, isn't it? You, you you forget how much you rely on, on certain things within your life. Like Mm -hmm. um, I'm part of different groups and different kind of um, things that really impact my life in a positive, in immensely positive way, Mm -hmm. you know, but, um, and, and I, and I, and I, when I'm in this thing, I'm like, I'm like, well, I have a, I have a set routine. I have things that I do that keep me a certain Mm -hmm. way, but take one of them away and suddenly a few of them can start to fall away
0: yeah i don't think anyone can vouch for like they can't say how they're going to be feeling the next day week month no one can even say because like you said it's such a roller coaster the most robust person with the best coping mechanisms and skills is still going to be suffering you know from one day to the next um one of the really wicked things that you do have though uh which sounds like such a good laugh is your podcast
1: yeah, yeah, Do you know, it's been um, it's been a real saving grace because um, obviously there's you know there, like there's no there's no gigs, yeah. There's not going to be a concert in a long time, yeah. And there's no theatre or mm. or new um TV or films being done. So I'm like, oh my god, I don't have a job right now. But um, luckily, yep. just before lockdown, just before lockdown started, me and my friend Matt Richardson, who we've been talking about doing a podcast for about three years, right. You know, and we started it about six months ago or something, and we um, and we just started um, it's called "When No One's Watching," right? And it's about the stuff you do, like the guilty pleasures you have that maybe you shouldn't be doing, or I'm not sure how you <laughs> feel about, you know, like um, and um, and we've got a few of them, like um, like I won't talk about mine. You can listen to mine on the on the podcast, but Matt's like obsessed with planes. Like, Why so it's is yours real really gross? Nerd. Okay. Well, no, I'm just a bit. I'm just right. a bit of a strange. I'm just a bit of a weird guy. Like I've got, I've got so many. And uh, do you know, when we started, I was like, I don't really think I've got that many. What am, what my? I mean, I'm like, oh my god, I've got loads. But um, <laughs> but like um, there's so many things that people are into. Like we've had, we had lots of people that are into Eurovision.
0: Oh, really? Like wow. It's a
1: big one. Like people love it. I never thought it was a real thing, but people love it. You know, kind of like yeah. earwax and and nose picking and strange things that people are into. Do you um, know what mine is? Don't want to talk. What's yours? I
0: I like um, going on Amazon and buying all different foot file grater things and then trying. But <laughs> <them. laughs> so then you know through the hard skin on your feet that I yeah. like trying them out, and then sometimes I do it so much I can't walk because I've taken too
1: much off. <laughs> <laughs> Savage, so once right? you start you can't stop. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there's that's
1: such a thing.
0: I'd have to move yeah, on to yeah. my husband's feet because I've got no hard skin left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See, there's so many things, man. There's so many things. Like people um people stick so many earbuds down their ears that they impact their ears with all this <gasps> wax that they just push in. My, surely you should learn. <laughs> yeah, but it's um it's it's such a fun. Like a fun thing to talk about. it's very silly, a right laugh. we just sit there, and me and Matt are kind of like are quite guilty pleasures, you yeah, know, so yeah. we kind of we kind of see ourselves as very good judges, you know, and there's a bit of jeopardy to it as well because you can kind of like in one way, we judge whether or not it's good, bad or bad, bad, so we can tell you whether or not you should feel. You know, you're okay with that. That's fine. That's a good thing. You know, you shouldn't feel bad about that. So you can feel some relief. Or if we say it's bad, bad, that means, you know, you've got some serious issues. You should maybe not have said that out loud. (laughs) You should feel deeply ashamed. Yeah, but it's a right laugh. I've had some really good guests.
0: It's been so lovely to chat to you. I really do think you're extraordinary. Um you've led such an interesting life and you've got such a great insight and and brilliant advice that you've given, you know, for people that are still suffering right now or maybe they're on the other side. I think this episode is going to be really useful to to lots of different people. So thanks for talking about everything because you know you haven't just come in here and kind of promote yourself or talked about up-and-coming projects you've been quite open and raw which I know isn't easy to do so thank you
1: oh no I've enjoyed it thanks very much you know kind of anyone that is kind of out there struggling yeah. and kind of dealing with that stuff if you you know that thing called google is a great thing sometimes it may not always be but if you are struggling with drugs or alcohol if you google that pretty much one of the first couple of things that comes up is pretty important and there's places that can help you, and there's lots of people out there who are willing to help you for nothing, mm, yeah. you know. And um, and I've benefited beyond belief from them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so um, I can't say enough about it.
0: Oh, thank you. It's really important, yeah. And I've just loved talking to somebody that I don't live with. So thanks for the chat. It's <laughs> no, really it's been not... nice. i am going to go back nice. into the and kitchen I... now.
1: And my kids haven't barged in. I've been expecting them to come in and go, Daddy! Yeah. <laughs> but it's not
0: been that right. way. Yeah, well, I'm going to go and unload and load the dishwasher for the ninth time today. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> it's the
1: bane of my life. <laughs> so
0: dull, was not it? Yeah. It's just so, it's so dull. so Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. and uh,
1: Katie, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.